Today, um, we're going to talk about um, what child is this? The, the concept of why Jesus. And uh, I've been thinking about this for some time, uh, this topic, and, and th- this week gave me a lot of time to do uh, uh, a lot of research on it. Let's, if you want to see the text or want to open to the text, it's Isaiah 9. Uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And uh, let's read that text, or I'll read it. Uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. Let's open in a word of prayer. O Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have made all things. You have given us life. You have provided us with a Savior who has gifted us with eternal life. And we are so thankful for that. We come to you this day asking for knowledge and understanding. We seek to know you more deeply. Give us your wisdom this day that we might somehow comprehend the depths of your word and know your way for our lives. In Christ's matchless name we pray. Amen. Christmas has always been my favorite time of the year. People always seem to be more congenial uh, during the period between Thanksgiving uh, and New Year's. Even though Thanksgiving is a very important holiday, it's always been kind of the kickoff uh, to the Christmas season. Uh, In our home, Thanksgiving uh, is the day that we put up the tree and decorate the inside of the house. And most people have uh, positive memories of the Yuletide season um, that, that involve family and friends. Everything and everyone seems to be more alive uh, and open to God's story of Christ and his birth. The stores and and in the mall and and around the neighborhoods are all decorated uh, with their interpretation of the holiday season. And decorations are are more stunning at this time of the year than they are at any other time of the year. Children especially love Christmas. And sometimes they have some really weird ideas to express. I saw these and thought they were cute. 
A young boy wrote, my brother has been good this year, <laughs> has not been good this year, but will you still come to our house and leave some gifts? Oh, and by the way, I haven't been so good either. Could you include me? And a young girl said, you scared me at the mall last year. This year, will you please send Mrs. Claus instead? <laughs> and then one last one, one little girl wrote, I only have one wish for Christmas this year, Santa. Could you please make me nicer and prettier than my best friend? <laughs> Santa Claus was always a big deal uh, around our house around uh, this time of the year, the season of the year. My mom really loved the whole idea of Santa Claus. And there were three of us boys. I was the middle child. That's why I'm the backward, shy one. Uh, and in fact, she would wrap one present for each of us and put it, uh, after we went to bed, she'd put it where the cookies had been and where the empty glass of milk was. And I found out later on in life when I asked her about it, she said, well, I wanted to make sure you knew those three presents were from Santa, but we paid for everything that was under that tree. <laughs> and no one ever questioned the jolly old elf around our house, or you would get a lump of coal in your stocking the next year. So my mom really uh, loved Christmas. Uh, our, our tree was the main focus of the decorations in our home, and it really represented uh, the masterpiece of, a masterpiece of all of our uh, creation. Um, the fir tree, as we were taught by my dad, represented God's earthly portrayal of eternal life. Uh, even in the, the deepest part of winter in northeastern Ohio, the, the fir trees were always green. They were always looked like they were alive, even though everything else around us looked like it was dead. I don't know if you ever lived in a, in a uh, climate where they had deciduous trees, but uh, really everything, the grass and everything turns brown and gray, and the only things that look alive are the evergreen trees. Uh, once decorated, the tree and, and the bounty of presents underneath it would bring joy to any or every home. Uh, the food was a real treat. It was always at a gourmet level in our house. My mother was an excellent cook. And my favorite thing at Christmas time was the, was the fig and raisin pudding that she made. And she had this double boiler. Uh, I think that's what it was called. It was like two pans in one, and one had water underneath and she would take eagle brand milk and put it in that pan and cook it until it was a until it was a rich cream and then you would pour that over top of I'm gonna make you all hungry. I probably shouldn't go into that. That was my favorite treat uh at at Christmas time. And our fellowship was always gracious. We my dad would invite uh people, friends of his that had no family and uh, to come at Christmas time for a Christmas dinner, and we just include them as part of the family. Um, and then 
there were, then there was the manger. In front of the tree uh, in our house, we had a manger scene. And I used to, I was always the first one up in the morning. My mom would get up around four o'clock in the morning and put the turkey on because uh, we had a large group of people. So we generally had a 25 to 30 pound turkey. And so she would get up at five, uh, four o'clock in the morning and I would get up either right as she did or shortly afterwards. And I would lay down in front of the tree and look at all the presents and count them. And um, I would look at that manger scene and it, and it would just really stir my heart. Mary uh, bent over, the, the, the figure of Mary bent over um, the manger with the baby Jesus, tiny baby, laying in there wrapped in a, in a cotton uh, blanket. It was so precious. And then behind her um, was, was um, Joseph. And he had this expression on his face of just wonder. And uh, next to them were the, were the um, animals all looking down at the baby Jesus because all of creation understood the importance of this day. All creation still waits for the return of Christ, the new heavens and the new earth, because all of creation suffered uh, through that sin, time of sin. And we, you'd see the angel, angels up above looking down uh, on, the, on the babe and the, the uh, shepherds sitting around on bales of hay and the, the wise men out in front holding onto their camels and each one of them had a gift in their hand, either gold or frankincense or myrrh. And it was a constant reminder of, the, of, that, time, of that time and, and the importance of that day. And then we had the, uh, my dad would always read the scripture uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter um, 2, 1 to 19. And, and it was a tradition in our home that we never opened any presents until that scripture uh, had been read. And that's carried on into the next generations. In our, in, in our home, we practice that same thing. We have the manger sitting in front of the tree. We, um, my, in fact, my special needs daughter, even today, brings her Bible with her when she comes home for Christmas vacation, and she brings the Bible out and hands it to me and says, here, Dad, read. <laughs> and so I turn and I read out of, out of her Bible the same story that my dad uh, read to us years ago, uh, the story of the birth of Christ. And my son does that same thing with his family. The birth of Christ is the single most important act in all of history. You see, if, if Jesus was not God, then, every, then he was just a man like we are, and everything that happened in his life and his death and his resurrection means absolutely nothing without the virgin birth of Christ. So when we look at this text, 
today in Isaiah 9, uh, 6 and 7, we, we need to focus in on this idea of, of the virgin birth and what Christ did in his time on earth to prove that he was the Messiah and then what we know he's going to do uh, in the future. And so we see these three, uh, three thoughts in this section. First of all, he's marvelous in how he came. Secondly, he is majestic in who he is. And then thirdly, he is mighty in what he will do. We find these in, in verses 6a, uh, 6b, and verses, verse 7. So the question uh, that I started with is the question that many people ask and needs, it needs to be asked. Why Jesus? Why do we believe that Christ was the Messiah? And the answer to these two basic questions is asked by both Christians and non-Christians. The historic material needed to answer these questions originates in the Bible as a whole. The inspiration and hope promised in the Scripture came from a personal relationship with Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't just include the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It doesn't claim to be the stories of God. The Scriptures claim to be God-breathed. Every word came from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is God-breathed. So when we see this, the, the beginning of this verse in Isaiah 9.6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, we have to reflect on the idea that this is God himself being born in the, in the physical body of a man. Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he was both man, physical man, and God at the same time. The, we see this, this Old Testament um, verse in Isaiah 7.14. We see it um, come to fulfillment in the New Testament in Luke 1.34 and 35. After the angel Gabriel comes and makes this announcement to Mary. Mary says, how can this be since I have known no man? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So the mother was Mary, but the father was God. The scriptures themselves attest to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, and he did come from God. So then we see the authenticity of this 
uh, of what we what we read in uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, Isaiah nine six a, and Luke one thirty four and thirty five, spelled out in Matthew one eighteen, where it explains. Now the birth of Christ took place this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus before they came together. In other words, before they had sexual relationships, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. So this gives authenticity to the fact this isn't one man, Luke's idea. It was known with, throughout all the apostles that, that this child was the child of God, both man, both human, and in the flesh, and God uh, in the spirit. If Jesus is not of the flesh, then he is just another false prophet of the times. But um, he is also majestic in who he is. Isaiah 6, uh, 9, 6b uh, says, And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Jesus was counselor to the people. He counseled Nicodemus. We see in John 3, uh, 4 through 6, uh, where it says, or Nicodemus asked the question, surely he cannot, uh, how, do, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. And Jesus answered him and said, I tell you the truth. No man can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You see, we become a new creation in Christ when we accept him as our Savior. Our lives should change. If, if, when you uh, uh, gave your life to Christ, if there was no change in your life, then something was wrong. The question is, did you make him the Lord of your life? Because if you make him the Lord of your life, which uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10 requires for, for salvation, then you are going to change as a person. You're going to be a different person than who you were before. We see that, that in this section that, that, uh, of Scripture that Christ's wisdom is displayed. Uh, we don't know exactly when Jesus recognized the fact that he was God, but we know that there was a point in time, some point in time, when he knew. 1 Corinthians 1.30 attests to his wisdom when it says, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So Jesus is wisdom. In his early life, uh, we see at the feast of the Passover when he was 12 years old. And, and in Jewish tradition and, and in practice, when a child became 12 years old, they became an adult. And so he was allowed in the temple courtyard 
uh, as a 12-year-old. And he went in and wowed the religious leaders of the times. They couldn't believe his knowledge and his wisdom about the scriptures and the things that he communicated with them were even beyond their understanding. We see that in Luke 2, uh, 41 through 52. Then we see his wondrous self in his ministry. He healed the sick and the blind. He healed the lame and allowed them to walk. He raised Lazarus from the dead and, uh, to show his power over death. Uh, the second time that uh, I traveled to Israel, we had the opportunity to walk down uh, through Hezekiah, from the temple through Hezekiah's tunnel, tunnel down to the uh, pool of Shalom. And we stood on a, 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 went out onto these marble steps that were built there, and then down at the, at the bottom was the pool, and unfortunately, they hadn't dug it out yet, so it's about a nine-foot full of dirt, but you could see the bottom, the basis of the pool right along the edge, and the, the entire area was no wider than this room, and, and as I was standing there, I was thinking, Jesus was standing here at some point in time when he took the, the mud and spit in it and, and rubbed it on the man's eyes, and, and the man saw for the first time in his life. Can you imagine that being blind, and all of a sudden you can see? You see colors, you see faces, you see trees and plants that you'd never been able to see before. And we were standing within 75 feet, uh, 50 feet of exactly where it took place. This isn't, this isn't made up. This thing isn't a joke. It's the absolute truth. Jesus did these things while he was on earth. Mark 7.37 says people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Then we see the triumphal entry as further evidence uh, of, his, of his ministry here on earth where Jesus fulfilled more than 200 or more than 300 Old Testament prophecies. And we see several Old Testament prophecies uh, revealed just during the triumphal entry itself. Even, um, I told you I was, uh, was in Israel twice, and both times we went in to this one place where you can see the whole east wall of the, of, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And right in the middle of it, there's a, a double gate. It's probably 75 feet high by uh, 100 feet wide. And traditionally, the east gate is the place where Jesus will return. And he will walk through that gate into the temple. The Muslims that were so afraid of that, that when they took over uh, Israel, they sealed the, e the whole east gate. And you can see it. You can see the gate exactly. And you see all of these, all of the stones that they put in place to close it off. And you can't see the other side, but they said the stones are four to eight feet in width. They did not want Christ to be able to walk through that gate 
and walk back into the temple. But stones alone uh, won't stop Christ. The stones cry out to have Christ returned. We see this, uh, his life and his ministry and the fact that he suffered and died. And here are the, some of the Old Testament prophecies, the different look at, at this whole concept, but the proof text within the Bible of these things actually happening is so powerful. Jesus was silent before his, his accusers. We see that in Isaiah 53, 7, and we see it fulfilled in Matthew 27, 12. And then he was executed by crucifixion. At the time that this was predicted, uh, in the book of Psalms 22, 16, no one even knew what crucifixion was. And yet it was predicted in the Old Testament and fulfilled in John 19.28. He was given vinegar to quench his thirst. We see that in Psalm uh, 69.22, and we see it fulfilled in Matthew 27.34. Jesus was executed without having a bone broken, and we see that foretold in Exodus 12.42 and Psalm 34.21, and we see it fulfilled in John 1933 through 36. These are only four examples. But when something is predicted that doesn't even exist yet, and then it happens exactly the way it was predicted, we have to believe that that Jesus was the Christ. And then finally, he is mighty in what he will do. Isaiah 9, 7 says, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and behold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will, will do this. And we see this in his return. Uh, Revelation 19.16 says, On his robe uh, uh, and his thigh, his name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is a picture in the book of Revelation when he's returning on a horse, and it's written on his side that he's King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we see it in his judgment. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may uh, receive what is due us for the things that we have done in our bodies, whether good or bad. Though even believers are going to have a judgment. Now, in our judgment, it'll be different than the great white throne judgment where people will be judged Uh, in their flesh, we're going to be judged uh, for our works, and our works will be judged. We won't be part of that judgment. That's another message for another day. Uh, And then we see it in uh, in his rule and his reign. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom 
is the scepter of, of uprightness. Psalm 45, 6. When it's done putting this together, uh, I um, wrote this little poem. I uh, hope you'll bear with me. I don't consider myself a poet, but I do love to write poems. Moon stars, Christmas night, all is calm, all is right. We look back, years gone, empty life, all's wrong. Lonely days, he was there. Empty nights, we were unaware. Then the light, the Christmas star, filled with hope from afar. O night divine, a child we see, we were shackled, lonely, naive. In birth he came, one offering, to bring us life. Now we sing glory, glory in his name. Filled with love he came. Through the ages he has rung, giving life salvation's song. Holy, holy is his name. Full of love he came. Alleluia, what a night. Angels spoke. An awesome sight. Born to die, to make it right. To bring us light, to end our strife to show us light, to give us sight, all for our unapt delight. Our Redeemer, that's his name, yesterday, today the same, bringing hope that hapless night, defining love, eternal life. Praise him, praise him, carolers sing, Tonight, tonight, he's born the king. Tomorrow with his death, he'll bring the end of all our suffering. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we love this time of year. We love the idea that you came as both God and man. That you touched our lives and freed us from the bondage of sin in which we lived. And you were the only one that could do that. And in order to do that, you had to give your life and suffer on a cross. We praise and thank you, Lord. We can't give you enough praise. We can't give you enough glory for what you've accomplished. But we praise and thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.